So welcome listeners to another edition of the podcast Seeking Happiness with myself, Andy Milligan. And today I'm really, really pleased to have a guest who has a similar upbringing to myself and who now has published some really, really good books. So we're going to speak to him. Uh, and first of all, I'm going to ask him if he could introduce himself. Hello there, Stephen. Hello, Andy. Yeah, my name's Stephen Pennell. Uh, like Andy, I'm from Chelmsley Wood, Birmingham. Grew up there in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, later in life, I've uh, become a bit of an author and, and published three books. Amazing. And Stephen, if you could just, I'm just going to take you back now. I'm going to do a little bit of mind traveling for you. Could you just tell, tell myself and the listeners a little bit about your childhood and perhaps touch on any problems? Maybe you didn't have any problems that you maybe have had to overcome? Yeah, well, I was born uh, in the 60s in, in Kingshurst and we lived there till I was about six uh, and from where we live, we could see Chelmsley Wood being built <laughs> so all, all the way, all the way. Uh, not that I was aware, but my mum used to look out the front window and look out the front garden and go, oh, I, I can't wait to go and live there where it's all new. And uh, when we were when I was about six, we, we moved over there and um, I didn't really have any problems when I was in, in childhood. I was very content. I had uh, a lot of good little mates on, on Chelmsley Wood. Which, um, which part of Chelmsley was it, uh, Stephen? Conway Road by the swimming baths. I know right. it. I know it, yeah. Right by the yeah. Grim Archbishop Grimshaw School, yeah. Well, you either went to Kingshurst, Comprehensive, <laughs> or, or Grimshaw. That's right. Think, depending on your religion. That's right. Yeah, we, we, we were Catholics, mate. We had the Irish Catholic mom. Yeah. Uh, and my, my two best mates, Phil and James McLaughlin, live next door. They went to Grimshaw. They went to St. Patrick's Junior School and then Grimshaw. And I went to Bishop Wilson and then Kingshurst. Yes. I, do you know what? I, Stephen, I know St. Patrick's because we used to, I went to St. Edward's in Kozil and we used to play football yeah. against them. And our headmaster, Mr. Clancy, his wife, Mrs. Clancy, worked there. Oh, okay. It's a strange connection, mate. Yeah, man, it's amazing. It's but amazing. Um, I think at the time, um, there's, I think because it was um, a, a very new estate, there seemed to be a hell of a lot more kids, because I'm still there, but yes. there seemed to be a hell of a lot more kids when, when I was little. You know, there, there was just gangs of us roaming around all the time, playing football till all hours. I remember uh, it, Cricket mate. in the sun, knock door run. You know, thunder and lightning—we used to call it. <laughs> Not up to all right. sorts. Yeah, uh, but we we had uh, we had a great time, and then you know, as you know, we went into um, teenage and adolescence and everything. You know, there'd be sort of uh, there'd be fights between the schools and uh, fights between different areas. You know, there was the Prince Al Mafia and the Seagull Mob and the Endeavour and the Trooper. The Trooper, yeah. Uh, it was a bit Wild West. It was. For on Chelmsford, especially when there was a lot of pubs. There's hardly any left now, but... I know. Yes. But, uh, it's very uh, sad, mate. A great childhood, uh, great parents. There was quite old for parents, my mum and dad, because I'm the youngest, and uh, my dad was 52 
when when I was born and my mum was 43. And um, so like I'm comparing this evening and that I didn't really, I didn't really like my dad going because he looked more like my granddad. <laughs> but, uh, I, I didn't mind my mum going, but uh, you know, that was it really. And in Bishop Wilson, I had a poem read out on um, BRMB when I was eight. So I wrote a little poem. Amazing. I didn't know there was, whether there was a competition, but um, you know, it might have been something to do with the school, and they sent it in, and uh, they read it out on the air. That is amazing, they... Stephen. Can you remember the poem? It was a. It was about um, a forest fire. Brilliant. But I, I can't really remember the. I can't remember the the lines or anything. We we probably both know the guy who's who lit that forest fire. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Me, me one mate. Uh, set fire to Simon Digby and he was uh <laughs> he, he was closed for a while and he was a bit of a hero to his fellow pupils I bet he was <laughs> I bet he was that that listeners is a classic King of Chemsey would have bringing yes yeah definitely so that's good for, that you've shared a little bit about that with us you you seem to have had quite a happy childhood then Stephen yeah I would I would definitely say so yeah not not many complications you know um Mum and dad stayed together. Um, you know, I had a lot of good friends, loyal friends and um, great neighbours. You know, my, you know, it was in the days when, well, I think by the time you was about maybe 10 or 11, mum and dad uh, could go to the pub and, and leave me on my own. And when I got a bit lonely, I just went round next door. Yeah. I remember it. I, I remember that time, Stephen, where uh, you you used to be able to nobody locked the doors, and you used to be able to go around and see your neighbours. You knew everyone who lived in that in the block that you were in. Yeah, that's right, man. It was, it was a, a good community, and um, I think to a certain extent, it survived quite well in Chelmsleywood uh, because um, obviously, forty odd years later. Uh, there's a lot of people still there from them you've grown up with they've got their own kids and um yeah. you know it doesn't really it doesn't really change much i mean you know i suppose some things do some things do i i what i love about the upbringing in chemsley is um when i when i meet people that i've grew up with or i i go back there and i bump into people there's that instant bond you know, it's like yeah. it's like a brotherhood, an understanding. This person's been through the same as what I've been through. Yeah, definitely. I love uh, that. I mean, you know, uh, I'll tell you something now. That's uh, quite quite funny. Is that you know when when um, as I say, adolescent teenagers and everything like that. When we were in when we were in town uh, after a Villa game, say, and everybody went up town, and the Blues were in town. And there'd be a bit of fighting. Some, sometimes it was our day and sometimes it was Birmingham's day. Yes. You know, but whenever, whenever the villa had to go and leave town, if they had to run off or anything like that, all the guys in the villa crew who were from Chelmsley could stay in town because they wouldn't beat us up. The Blues fans from Chelmsley wouldn't beat us up. Yeah. They were like, you know, there might be villa fans, but there are villa fans. Yeah. That's, we, that... we knew it. We, we knew all the top boys down there, so uh, we we were safe just from having our Chelmsley passports, really. Yes, 
Chemsey passport is very important, mate. That's got that's got me out of a lot of pickles. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, yeah, brilliant. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit about now? A little bit about what what you do now, and um, just just I want to sort of get you to lead up to what motivated you to start writing and put pen to paper and and that sort of area of your life. Well, um, it's been a bit of an adventure, really, uh, my whole life. But um, it's always been anchored in 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 kind of work. You know, I, I worked at Longbridge uh, for a while. I did ten years at Longbridge, and um, I took my redundancy from there because I sort of I, I knew uh, there was a job waiting for me all the time at uh, this pallet depot where I work now. So I've had like over 30 odd years. I've just had the two jobs. And plus I, I used to sell uh, the Heroes and fan, heroes and Villains fanzine at Villa Park every week. So um, I've never had to sort of make a, a financial decision on, uh, on writing. I've just always done it and worked. I think there's a lot of pressure involved if you just think I'm going to throw everything up. And, um, right, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. be a writer, especially because I've had sort of um, two two big relationships, really, two two families, two sets of kids. So I've always been uh, mindful that I've had to provide. Yes. I've never really been able to take that gamble on, on just doing it full time. But I started writing for the fanzine, which I used to sell. Uh, so that was football for a bit. And I ended up writing um, a season a season diary for um, about the Aston Villa season in 2006-07. That was my first book. Brilliant. Uh, which was the year uh, Doug Ellis left. And anyway, it was, and Martin O'Neill was the manager. Yes. And then um, all the time, I had all these stories from my childhood in Chelmsley and my adolescence and my teenage years and everything like that. Uh, and I was sort of... Um, I was writing them into uh, sort of like thousand word articles. And then when I, when I had enough of them, I thought I can make a book out of this. Yes. And after getting over the disaster of um, my son wiping, wiping everything from my computer. Nightmare. Nightmare. Oh, terrible. Because he, he said he could format it. You know, he must have been about 15 at the time. And he said, oh, I can format your PC, Dad. Oh, and uh, he, he, he I had, only had about three or four chapters but yeah his intention was good he was trying to help out wasn't he yeah, man. and uh i was a great kid but uh i took it over to the uh, computer repair shop you know because you know i'm not gary glitter i ain't got nothing to hide <laughs> and, uh, i said can you find all this copy and they said no there's nothing on there it's been completely wiped and um but then i found some hard copy i found it i had it on paper brilliant uh, a few years later, and then I thought, right, I might as well try and finish this now. And that yep. was uh, Gangsters, Geezers and Muds. Mate, what's brilliant about what you just said, uh, what I like is that, you know, that you, you'd actually started, nobody does it anymore, but you had a hard copy. You'd, you'd actually started writing on pen with pen and paper, pencil and paper, just like Roll yep. Dahl. Fantastic. Yeah, man. Well, you know, when I started writing for Heroes and Villains, probably back early 90s. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wrote for Claret and Blue and uh, 442 magazine, all right. four magazine. Amazing. And uh, I used to do four sides of A4 in Byron and send them in. 
And then it was somebody's job to edit it, uh, format it, yeah. add pictures. Like a copywriter. Like yeah. Yeah. You know, and, but now everyone wants you to do that yourself. I know. You have to learn. You have to learn so much. Well, I don't have to. I mean, my missus has to help me. <laughs> my, my, my missus has to learn and then she helps me. Yeah. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen. I I just want to tell the listeners that I've uh, I that Stephen brilliantly sent me out a copy of his his book Gangsters, Geezers, and Mods, um, and uh, I I've started leafing through it, and uh, it's it's well written. Um, most most listeners will know that I am a former English teacher, so I am very critical of anything that I read. And uh, I, I think it's very well written, Stephen. So did, did you have help with it or? No. Uh, words your own? It's all, it's all my own work. Um, the, proof, the proofreader, uh, I sent it to my mate who's a proofreader. He works at the BBC editing news. And um, he didn't change. He, he said nothing needs change. And he just did the, like the odd double space, um, stuff like that. And, and made notes about little things I'd got wrong. Like I sort of mentioned a, a bowling alley in her street. And he said, that's in Pershaw street. Wow. I mentioned, um, I mentioned getting off the train at uh, five ways to walk to Farquhar road in the book. And he said, you would have got off at university, just little things like that. Um, uh, mate, he just, is an amazing guy to know, isn't he? Definitely a brilliant yeah. proofread with an encyclopedic knowledge of Birmingham as well, which really yes. helped. And I just, wanted, I, I just want to, I want to share something with you that, uh, and the listeners, just as I was leafing through uh, the book, this is, <laughs> I just thought this, this is a brilliant um, summary of the great quotes and stories that are in this book, but it's just a, it's, it's a short piece that I just picked up and it was, it was one of the first pages that I started reading. We're, 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 we're a good 20 or 30 pages in, but it's just this quote I wanted to share with the listeners. And it says, mods are the coolest white people on earth. Sorry to discriminate, but Samuel L. Jackson, uh, who else you mentioned there? Uh, Chris Gale and Alfie Jam. Alfie Jam. Are the, yeah, are the three. Um, do you know what, mate? I'll tell you what it is. I haven't even got my glasses on. Let me get my glasses on. Yep. And Alfie... Alfie Jam are the three actual coolest people on earth, and they're all black. And I just thought that 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 for me was just a really good insight into how good this book is going to be when I read it. Uh, and I highly recommend at this point that people really, really try and get their hands on it. If they want to get their hands on your book, Gangsters, Geezers and Mods, and any of the work that you've done, Stephen, how, how can they do that? How can listeners do that? Uh, well, you can get um, Gangsters, Geezers and Mods from um, Old Dog Books. That's the publisher. Or you can get it through uh, Amazon and click on, if you, there's the ebook is there for Kindle and, and the paperback. Uh, there's, a, there's a button if you want to go to paperback. Um, um, and my my third, my first book, I think, is is out of print. Really, you can only get it on eBay, second hand. 
What what um, was that one? That was called Star Spangled Villains. Um, and uh, my latest book, King City, which is about the um, the diverse Birmingham music scene. Um, that's that's available everywhere. Waterstones, Amazon, amazing. Uh, you know, foils, W. H. Smith. Everywhere. Have, everywhere. have you got any mention of Casino in there? Uh, Casino, the film. No, the the bands that uh, I think they changed their name to Spider Simpson for a while, and the um, yeah, the the um, the guitarist and the lead singer, uh, he's called Adams Adam Zindani. Um, yeah. They used to be based at Mother's Studio in Digbeth. They used to be they used to be based right next door to my band, and Adam is now in the Stereophonics. He's the guitarist. In the stereophonics, wow. yeah. Now you tell me something I don't know there, mate. I'll have to. I, I might uh, look that up. They that casino that were were the best bands. That I they almost they almost made me want to give up music, Stephen. Me and me yeah. and my partner Didier went to see them uh, in in uh, the Jewelry Quarter. I'm just trying to think of the music venue that's there. Uh, just right. Them. Say it again, dude. Uh, there's one. There's one called the Asylum up Constitutional. It, no, I think I'm thinking of the actress. And, was it the actress? And oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I went to see them there. The play there one night. This is going back about 15, 15, maybe twenty years ago, and they honestly blew me away. It's the first time I've ever been in a venue where you had a and R men running around with mobile phones. This band is amazing. Uh, oh, it was wow. packed. Um, but they they did get signed, and they went. The, the bass player was another friend of mine, a guy called Neil. Um, he that they, they got signed and went to America, went to the states. Uh, I think it was Parlophone that signed them. Dave Grohl thought thought they were absolutely amazing. Took them to his personal studio to record their their first album. But the they had a bit of a a tete a tete with the with the people that were releasing the album and that they weren't happy about the order of the songs that were being released and they I think they eventually got dropped unceremoniously. But Adam was a big friend of uh, Kelly Jones. I, I remember being at a gig and Kelly Jones was standing next to me and thinking to myself, is that is that Kelly Jones? It is Kelly Jones. And I was I was thinking, some I remember somebody next to me said. I thought he just had a really big guitar because we, we we both didn't know how small he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's small. He's a, he's a small fella. But yeah, he was good friends with Adam and then Adam got asked to join the Stereophonics and he's still with them. I know they've got a new album out at the moment as well. Okay, that's good. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've got, um, that's, uh, that's a new one on me, mate. I'll, look, I'll definitely look them up. Uh, honestly, but, but... this is a true story. So they, they were on one side. Uh, it, when I was in Mother's studio and I think on the other, the other side or not too far away was another band called Sergeant. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, they were quite a, they were quite a good, a good mod sort of band had some yeah. really good songs. Uh, and Andy Bennett, who was their, their lead singer, he was a good friend of, of mine at the time. He ended up joining ocean color scene uh, as their bass player, so he was in Ocean Colour scene for a couple, for a couple of years. And I remember thinking when when I stopped doing music, I remember having a conversation with someone and saying, 
maybe I was just in the wrong lockup because yeah. <laughs> nothing <laughs> happened for me. <laughs> yeah, same as me with my band. We were terrible. We, yes. we, we were no loss. We were no loss. <laughs> when we've split up, that was a mercy killing. I know, I know, dude, I think I think that's what you've got to accept when you sort of listen back to some of your stuff. You're thinking, actually, we we weren't that great. That's maybe why we didn't make it. Well, so, I'm just um, I'm just glad that uh, YouTube didn't exist when we were about because exactly I, that's the reason, Stephen. That is the very reason. Um, yeah. What I wanted to talk to you about again, just staying on the writing for a second. Uh, you must have been, you must have been quite nervous about releasing a book about letting other people see your writing and how how it was going to be received how did you how did you overcome that how did you you know this this podcast is very much about seeking happiness and about doing things that perhaps you think you're not capable of doing trying to encourage people to do things do different things in their life how did you get to that point where you thought i'm going to do this um as I say, I, I, I wrote I wrote my second book over. I mean, my first book was quite uh, there was quite a lot of input from the from the editor Dave Woodall. In effect, really, it was probably about sixty forty or seventy thirty between me and him. Right, and he he'd written a few books, so I had no qualms when he when he decided that it was good enough to be released. I had no qualms about that one. The second one, it was. It took it took me years to write it, and I was getting frustrated with it. It was like it was like dust on a shelf in my brain. Do you know what I mean? Um, it built up and built up where I thought, you know, I've I've rewritten it and rewritten it, drafted it so many times. I'd read it about four hundred times. I thought it's just going to drive me mad until it's out. So. And when I sent it to my friend who's a proofreader for the BBC, uh, and he said it was good, um, that was all the that was all the uh, boost I needed, really. We, were you expecting that, mate, or were you just literally not sure? I just wasn't sure. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. Um, I, I did send it to the editor of my first book, and he said it wasn't long enough. Right. And funnily enough, the proofreader um, also said to me. Uh, you could just do with elongating the ending. Um, he didn't. He didn't tell me what to say or anything like that. He said it needs yes. to be a bit longer. And all he said was maybe build up the tension a bit. Yes. Into there's a little bit where somebody's got to follow somebody around and watch somebody. He said just you know stretch that out a bit and build up the tension. Can you actually? Can you actually remember how you felt, Stephen, when you got that feedback? How did how did it make you feel? I was buzzing, mate. Buzzing, yeah. Was, yeah, buzzing. I was buzzing. I've got some, I've had some great feedback. I mean, um, Gavin Monaghan, who's a, a, a music producer uh, at Magic Garden Studios, he's produced The Twang, uh, Jaws, um, editors, loads of people. Um, and uh, he said he was one of the first people to buy it on ebook, and he said, uh, "I've just got, read your book; it's fantastic. Uh, I couldn't put it down." And um, you know, I, honestly, I was I was close to tears. I was that I was that sure because uh, you know I I thought it was good, but I just didn't know. You you don't know, do you? No. I thought if I made these stories that are very personal to me, interesting enough 
to maybe for people who don't know the locations, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think I have, it's, you know, it's, it's got fantastic reviews on Amazon yep. and in the end, um, you know, I, I sent it to, um, a company called word to Kindle to format it for me. So it could be uploaded onto Kindle and I just, uh, did it myself and you know just basically friends buying it at first and then word of mouth and everything did the uh, marketing for me and it sold quite a lot on kindle even though it's uh 6.99 on kindle and that created a, a demand with people sort of you know people who don't get on with the internet or kindle and stuff like that saying yes. oh you know there's got to be a paperback yes and um you know and then we got that together and then that was just a DIY job as well. Just got my friend who's uh, called Mark Eagles, who's a printer. Uh, he's got a printing shop in town. He made the book out of a PDF. And then um, I sent it to a, an actual publisher. And the first publisher I sent it to took it up, and now they're publishing it now. It's amazing. I'm just listening to I mean, well, I, w- I want to say this. You know, you know that, that analogy that you used there earlier about dust on shelf... <laughs> I thought, that was, yeah. I thought that was brilliant because I think everyone can relate to that. You know, you've got things in your brain that sometimes you you touch back on or your memory and think, oh, I should do that. I should do that. And you don't get around to doing it. And this, this is very much what why I started the podcast, trying to encourage people to 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 dig deep and do all those things that they they wanted to do in You've really, you've really set the bar high, Stephen, because you, you've, you've said to yourself, you know what, I want to achieve this, and it is quite. A, you can leave yourself in a vulnerable position when you, when you expose your inner thoughts and your personal feelings to people. It, it's quite a, it's quite a daunting task, and you seem to have overcome that. And I think that's what's really exciting for listeners, especially for me. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose with it being quite a lot of it's autobiographical as well. So it is very personal, but uh, I've made it a fictional story and I've included basically a lot of things that um, happen to other people. I've distilled them down to about four or five characters. So it's not quite true. It is true. And it's not quite true. Um, one of the reviews said it can be read as fact or fiction. Right. It could happen. Yeah. It could have happened. It doesn't matter because you'll lose yourself in it anyway. Of so, course. Uh, while I- it's while it is a lot of it is personal, especially the stuff about my parents and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's hard for you. It's hard for the reader to tell which is fact and which is fiction. So, yeah, that sort of takes takes out the kind of completely opening my heart and you know yeah where it's it's all definitely me basically it's it's just the main character and i know a lot about the main character because a lot of the stuff that happens to him and a lot of his adventures were that were the ones that happened to me yes and and that's do you know do you know what it's uh it's an amazing thing you know, for, on a personal level, uh, we were talking before we, we started this interview just about that I made a lot of changes and I've discussed them during the the, the ongoing podcast and been doing some acting. Uh, I started off doing extra work and now I've moved into sort of the acting, uh, the acting um, environment, let's say. 
And it, it's trying to do auditions, even showing them to my partner and to my children when I've done auditions and, and get them to, I'm like, oh, what are they going to think? You know, what, how are they going to react to this? You know, what are they going to say? Are people going to laugh at me? Um, you know, are people going to think that I've done, you know, a really bizarre thing? But it's, it's almost like a gamble, Stephen, you know, a good gamble in your head uh, yeah. that, that you're changing things. You know, some people, you know, go through life and they think, well, I don't know how to go about making a change, you know, and they think, well, I've just got to stay on this road that, that I've become used to. You know, there is no other option. And, uh, you know, I think I'm, you know, I'm here. And the reason I'm interviewing you is to try and tell people there are other options. There's other things you can do. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a different thing that they can do. A contribution to society. They can make themselves a little bit happier by, by making small changes a step at a time. Mm. It's incredibly proud that you've done, by the way. It, 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 it was... Uh, it was just a very funny decision, mate. Uh, at the time, you know, it's been twelve months now since I I resigned my teaching job. But I uh, I did discuss it uh, in an earlier podcast. What what happened to me, which really changed my outlook, uh, Stephen, was uh, I got diagnosed with MS. Um, okay. And it, and it was a real shock to me. It changed everything. It was a real life change. A curveball. And I wasn't wasn't expecting anything like that. I've always been fit in my youth. And, you know, as I've grown up, I've tried to stay fit. And, you know, I just had this moment where I was just like, what what's going to be the changes for me? What's going to happen? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how long I've got. I've got before there's going to be some serious changes in my physicality. And I just thought I just want to do all those things that I thought about years ago, you know, I wanted to be an actor. I, I wanted to do writing. You know, I, you know, I'm certainly, and I've discussed this before. I'm certainly not saying don't become a teacher. You know, teaching is a good thing, and I still teach on a Saturday morning to to disadvantaged and vulnerable children. I I go to a private uh, a private um, company in Warsaw. And I spend most most Saturday mornings just teaching kids there because I want to stay in that environment. I love teaching kids. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a vocation. Go on, dude. Uh, I, I should think teaching's a vocation. Yeah, it's 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 it is a, it's like music, it's like writing, mate. It's a calling. And I think yeah. once you've once you've been called in that direction, it's very difficult just just to stop. You know, and I think that the reason I went into teaching, just going back to what we said about growing up in Chambersy Wood, I don't think there was much expectation from some of the teachers that I had when I was at Archbishop Grimshaw. You mm. know, I think they just expected most of us to join the bloody military or something along those lines. Um, so I just wanted to do something. I, I knew I was fairly educated and I wanted to share that experience with people. You know, just trying to help other 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 pupils and other children. Before I waffle on too much, Stephen, because I've got a tendency to do that, um, I, I'm going to ask you: um, can can you think or reflect upon any experience of any difficult situations you've dealt with recently, whether it be the COVID crisis, 
whether it be the worries of the Ukrainian war, you know, can can you think of anything that's really given you a difficult situation or a, a hard time that you've had to you've had to overcome in recent years? Um, I think you know, in terms of um, life experience, probably like splitting up with my first partner who I had children with. Um, that 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 was uh, I had a pretty hard time then because it wasn't my idea for us to split up, uh, and it was around about Christmas. Um, and I sort of had a bit of a wild time for, uh, a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> I, was on, I was on, it was, it was just before Christmas. We had great holidays at the Rover. We got a fortnight off for Christmas. Yeah. Everybody was out. I, I was, I was in sort of a crisis. Everybody was out all day drinking and, uh, you know, it was it wasn't sustainable and when, when I, I by by the end of the fortnight I couldn't wait to get back to work because it would keep me out of the pub and um <laughs> my mate my one of my best mates calvin who used to give me a lift to longbridge at the time uh he said uh he'd come to pick me up at the time we were due to go back to work and he said uh we got i got in the car he said i saw you staggering along bosworth drive the other day <laughs> And then, and and like, um, I thought, you know, this is not sustainable. I've got to, you know, now I'm back at work. I've got to sort of um, knuckle down, uh, start making it possible for me to see my kids, uh, because you know, I had, I had, uh, we had four kids, and one of them was only six months old. Wow. So the others were. You know, uh, they, they were old enough that I'd bonded with them. They were 15, 10, 8, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, I bonded with them. And I had this six-month-old boy who basically, um, you know, I hadn't bonded with him because well, I think when you're a father, the toddler stage is when you you bond more than more than any other time, when you're teaching yes. them to rock the bike or kick a ball around. That's and right. uh, so, like, for, you know, basically... Every other weekend for 18 years, we've built up our bond, you know, and um, we, he's 24 now. We, you know, um, we're just as close as, as I am with all the others. But at first, it was every other weekend just going to know him. So I, I feel for I feel for the absent father. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, the, their circumstances aren't the best. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's how that's how I got over it really was just, you know, making sure that uh, I was always available that every other weekend. And, and that's, um, that's, that's important from a father's point of view, isn't it? Just making yourself yeah, available. Definitely. Yeah. Um, as regards uh, the world situation now, it's just one thing after another, isn't it? It's mental. Yeah. It's mental. You know, COVID, uh, COVID was um, obviously uh probably people that you and I both know. Do you remember? I don't know whether you remember Paul Cook. He was in a coma. I remember Cook here. Yeah. Remember him well, yeah. mate. He was in a coma from uh, COVID. And we had, oh my God. we had text messages two nights running all the time. His, his wife and his, uh, and his brother-in-law uh, were texting friends because obviously you don't want to be texting all the time. So they're sending sort of a round robin friend to all the, uh, a round robin message to all the friends who were concerned, you know. And two nights on the trot, we had text saying he, he won't make it through the night, but he pulled through. Wow, he pulled through at the end, and uh, you know, he's back. You're doing well now, Stephen. 
Yeah, he's doing well now. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, so obviously, I know that the tragedy of it. John Costello, who, who we both know, his dad died of it. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, but like personally speaking, uh, we never stop work. Yeah. You know, uh, I work in a pallet depot, and as you can imagine, uh, everything that that goes anywhere has to go on a pallet. Of course. So, yeah. Like, I think the uh, the management told us that um, the government had told them. That if we shut down, um, the army would have to come in and do it. Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah. You- I, I, do you know what? I did read on, you know, I, I use the internet a lot just to do research. And I, I remember reading about that, about the army were going to get involved at one point. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, because obviously pallets were vital, vital to uh, the whole food supply system, the That's supermarket. Right. Uh, and just, like, I'm, so we're just moving on very quickly, Stephen. What what do you do to help re- relax when you're when you're not writing or working? How do you relieve stresses of work life and um, music? Music's my great love. You know, I've got a website called King City Online, which is to try and help. Um, basically, I just do uh, reviews and um, news for people uh for the local birmingham music scene amazing uh, because like i think you know i mean i've done a bit with i've interviewed ub4 and i've reviewed the twang and some of the bigger brilliant people i love um trying to promote uh the young local bands coming up i wish i, think, I wish we were i wish we were around 20 years ago mate yeah man <laughs> i could have promoted you lot you could have promoted us so. yeah you never know um but like, yeah, I think when you're in a young band like that, I think it's it's nice to hear. Uh, it's nice to have something, especially for them to share on the social media nowadays, where somebody points out, you know, the good things about them. I'll be honest, I don't do bad reviews. If I if I if I uh, don't like don't, someone, I, I won't write anything. You just don't review them. Yeah, that's I, I like that mythology. Be, yeah, I want to be positive. You know, good. I like that. Positivity is the way forward, my friends. Just going, just just going back to books, Stephen. What what sort of books do you read? Do you, do you read? Oh yeah, I do right. read. Yeah, I mean, I love um, from from my own school days. I've always loved uh, George Orwell, but I think I read I'd read everything of his by the time I was about twenty. So I haven't read him for a while. But Mate, we did... I did I did my dissertation on him. Did you? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did it. The title of my dissertation was "The Enduring Relevance of George Orwell's 1984," and I just went into all dystopian literature. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, yeah. mate. I loved it. I actually loved doing that degree. It was good, even on a purely surface level. You know, you look at all the uh, the stuff that's still about from 1984. You know, you got a TV show called Big Brother, uh, Room 101. Room 101, yeah. Uh, I think we're getting sometimes we're getting a pretty close to uh how how many minutes of hate was it where people used to turn up and hate on the the guy Emmanuel I Goldstein. I know, mate, I remember it well. Yeah, and and the other thing is we humanize people. Yeah. when they were talking about introducing these COVID passports, where he'd need a passport to move around the city. I started thinking about 1984. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of relevance there. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, 
I think I, I think people overstated um, the whole that the nature of that lockdown by thinking it was very oppressive and 1984-ish. I think it was a bit overstated because if you look now, when people don't feel there's a threat, they're dying to open up again, aren't they? Oh, the government mate, yeah. are desperate to open up again to sort of get the tills ringing again, and <laughs> you know now, now it's like just do what you want. <laughs> you know I mean? Do what you want, just bring your money with you. Yeah, bring it. That was a that was a that was a thing, weren't it? It was like your credit card was a COVID pass at one time when they were saying <laughs> help out to eat out. That was yeah. like you can't do anything that you're not spending any money for. I know. But as long as you're spending money, you can go where you like. That's right. I mean, I I'm not going to put this down, but what something I noticed this morning. I I I went back to to church in the last couple of years. So I, I've gone back to my Catholic roots, mate, and I I I try and go even if it's just me. You know, I've said to my kids, look, it's it's your choice. You'll find it sooner or later, you know, whatever makes sense to you. But I, I go every Sunday morning. And this morning I uh, when I was there, I noticed at the back of the church, they've actually got a, uh, a, a credit card set up so you can make donations. And I wasn't oh. sure. I know I wasn't sure what to think about it, mate. You know, it was... Uh, it was just a bizarre one, but I just thought even even the Catholic Church has gone along with this now. That you can just wave your contactless card and make a donation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a cashless society, isn't it? You've got to adapt. It's cashless society, dude. Yeah, maybe that's part of the uh, part of the the outcome of COVID. People keep going on about investing in Bitcoin, don't they? Yeah, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced, mate. They haven't they haven't convinced me yet. There's I, I keep I keep getting mates. Like, oh, I can make you, I can triple your money in a couple of months. I'm just like, look, I haven't got I haven't got any money to invest, my friends. You know what I mean? Mm. Once you get that Oscar, once you get that Oscar, mate, you'll be uh, you'll be laughing. Don't oh, worry about do you know what? I honestly, I'm not I I'm I'm not that way inclined really, where I I want awards or anything like that. Do you know what? If I could just have a sustainable career, just 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 for the next 10, 15 years, I'd be super happy, Stephen. If I could bring some bring some decent finances into my family, and uh, I I just enjoy doing doing the job. I enjoy it. And again, when you start finding something that you you've got a passion for, and that actually you start thinking, I'm reasonably good at this. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, so well, you know that. That's the key. That's the key. I mean, people say, uh, you know, the big cliche, and it's it's a cliche because it's true, is uh, uh, regarding writing is write what you know. Yes. Um, and that's what I've done. But I mean, the the main thing is is write what you're passionate about. Yes. Because otherwise, you, I mean, like my first book, for instance, it could have been about uh, it was about uh, an Aston Villa season. It was a diary of a season, not from the football point of view really more from the fans point of view and yeah. our consumption yeah. of football but um somebody said to me you know you should have written one about man united you'd have made loads more money but i just couldn't write about man united you know you need passion to write about something i feel i think you're right i, I, I haven't right. got enough thoughts about man united to be able to make a book out of them i think you're right Absolutely spawn. And just just to finish off, uh, Stephen, because we we are running out of a bit of time. Because I only I think I only get an hour on this uh, on this podcast. Um, I just want to ask you, and it's something that I I I leave 
listeners with and i get anyone i'm interviewing to to try and respond to is just what you what what would you say are your top three tips to help people be positive and overcome difficulties in their life and, and seek happiness what what would you say are your top three tips that you could give i think um acceptance is a big one uh yeah. you know to to try and accept the situation that you you find yourself in although it might, it might be difficult um as, as you personally can probably attest but um you know there's no point raging against it um you know your situation's your situation yes uh, i always find uh, I, I tell people um you know when people come to me for believe it or not for financial advice at work because they, they think i'm a bit of an expert on pensions and stuff like that yeah. and it, but it's 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 true in in life as it is with your finances um I always say to them, don't worry that you, you know, you've got to this age and you haven't started a pension. There's no point regretting all that time in the past, but what you can do is start tomorrow. Yes. And I think that's good advice, good advice about life. You know, don't ever think it's all behind you. Always look forward. I'll, yes. get, I'll get that. Uh, that's uh, Paul Weller's philosophy. I love Paul Weller. He's my, he's my guru, my life coach. And, <laughs> well, uh, as a, always, well as a legend. He is, man, and he always looks forward. He's, you know, obviously people want him to just play jam songs or maybe a few people just want him to play Star Council songs, but he's always, what he's most interested in is his new song. Yeah. And and that's why that's still so good. Because yes. he, he and, never... And, and, and I think I think that's very true of, of people. We we evolve, don't we, Steve? And we, we evolve every couple of months. We're, we're effectively... We have a different outlook, a different perspective. Yeah, man. There's phases to life, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you go through all these phases, and 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 you all you can do really is is uh hope hope that the next one's interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, and and you know, there's some and 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 there's some joy in it. That's a really brilliant tip. If you were if you were going to say to somebody about how they could change things tomorrow, how how they could go about something differently, what would you say to them? Wow, uh, that's a difficult one. I mean, it's di it's different for everybody, isn't it? I suppose. Of course. But you know, I mean, I would just say indulge yourself. You know, whatever you enjoy indulge yourself do that whether it's reading whether it's you know um you know like at the minute i've just got into uh fr because of the sopranos uh in the history of organized crime in america and i absolutely love it i'm listening to podcasts all night at work and stuff like that and i'm i'm, I'm very self-indulgent with it i'm interested in it so i'm gonna find out about it it's good and that's what i say is just indulge yourself in whatever you enjoy most Yes, I think that's and really, really sound the, advice. If you know, and who knows what could come out of that? Yes, I agree with that. There's, uh, there's, I think there's part of that in, in you know, what we've learned about yourself today, Steve, and what I've tried to share with, with listeners about making changes. Um, you've, you've got to take a little bit of a risk sometimes, and you know, that does that doesn't mean sell everything or or give up your job like i did um but just small changes they're small steps aren't they small yeah. little steps 
you know, and you've exactly. got to you, you've got to start that walk before you got to. I mean, using the old analogy about the mountain that my brother always likes to talk about, to get to the top of that mountain to see the view, you've got to start taking small steps. You've got to start on the journey. Yeah, of course, and that's what I've done basically. Is like you know, I mean, I've I've always worked. Uh, I've never threw it all in and gone right. I'm going to be a writer. You know, I've always uh, kept my jobs because I've always got. Um, Basically, for about thirty years now, I've always had little kids. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's the you know the role I take that seriously, the role of provider. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've managed to uh, sort of monetize my hobbies a little bit as well. Brilliant. And I've always had hobbies that uh, have really added something to my life. So, yeah, man, indulge yourself and take it seriously and get into it. Stephen, I think that's a great way to 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 end today's interview. It's been fantastic talking to you. Such such a, a life learning experience for me. Just to have a chat with you and learn about your writing, and just thanks for sharing a little bit about your your, your own personal life as well. Thanks, Andy. That was great as well. It was really lovely chatting to you, man. And just just before we go, could you just repeat? Just for listeners, where where they can get hold of your books again and your website, just so that just so they've got that. I will make sure that that gets published on the on the website as well, so they can get that. But just just to leave people with that, where they can where they can get copies of your books again. Brilliant, mate. That's uh, Gangsters, Geezers, and Muds is available from Amazon and uh, Old Dog Books, the publisher. Apparently, if you buy it from Old Dog Books, they make a bit more money out of it. Amazon. Uh, rip them off a bit i think uh and my other book king city which is adventures into the diverse birmingham music scene is available from wh smith uh amazon again um waterstones everywhere really and then my website is uh king city online so just type in king online and it should take you there and that's um news and reviews from the present day birmingham music scene Stephen, you're a legend. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Brilliant, Andy. Nice to speak to you, man. Keep Excellent. in touch, man. I will keep in touch. And, uh, mate, I'm sure we've got so many other things that we can talk about. It was brilliant. Definitely. You have a great day, dude. And uh, I'll catch up with you real soon. Okay. Cheers, Andy. God Bye bless. Now. Take care. God bless.